Recovery Greenhouse is a podcast dedicated to the growth of ideas, concepts, and outlooks that support recovery and recovering community. I'm Gerald Lott, your host and a person in long-term recovery. I'm also founder and executive director of Soft Valley Voices of Recovery, a recovery community organization serving Northwest Illinois. I'm a certified recovery support specialist, entrepreneur, and a father. After a very long list of careers, I finally found my calling in helping others to find recovery. I work with many, many people every day. I serve on a bunch of addiction-related advisory boards and committees and such. And, um, this is definitely my life, and, and I'm very proud to be a part of it. My core belief is that people make people must make an effort to, to gain change in their life. Uh, you know, you, you, you don't just stumble upon it. There's a saying, no pain, no gain. And it's exactly correct. A person cannot experience significant life changes without enduring, accepting, and often welcoming discomfort. It isn't the change that hurts, but our resistance to it. And, uh, to be a little corny, you know, this is where we plant the seeds of recovery in the recovery greenhouse. So, um, Today, my guest is, is a friend, not only uh, uh, somebody that I feel is in an adjacent uh, career path, but also a friend of the family. Our, our, our children know each other, and, and uh, in a small community like we live in, Dixon, Illinois, you know, either either you're, you're crossing paths with somebody or you're walking away from them. It's just, uh, <laughs> it's just kind of small. Um, it, it's Dr. Kelly Flanagan, uh, who, who is a licensed clinical psychologist, uh, co-founder of Artisanal Clinical Associates, and, and an author. And he's written four books. I, I, I had an opportunity to kind of get into the first of the four that I will read. I'm making you that promise. I'm going to get through it. But um, I, I started lovable, embracing what is truest about you so you can truly embrace your life. And um, through conversation, I realized that what what Kelly is talking about in that book is, is it lines up exactly with my beliefs about recovery. So welcome, Kelly. Hey, thank you, Joe. It's great to be here. Really an honor. Thank you. Well. On the soccer field, your coach Kelly at the basketball game, Kelly. <laughs> do you need to be Doctor Kelly or Doctor Flanagan here? Kelly is fine. All right. If I never go by Doctor Kelly again, I'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. So, yeah, I mean, you know what I do. I'm, I'm, I'm helping yeah. people to find find treatment. I'm helping people to see that mm-hmm. there's life after addiction. Um, and uh, as I started reading Lovable. I was like, pow, this is, you know, this is what's driving so much yeah. of the pain. And uh, I'll give you a, a moment, you know, explain, explain the premise or, or the principle. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I'll say when we first talked about doing this interview and I listened into a couple of your episodes and your focus on the problem isn't the pain, it's our resistance to the pain. And I thought, oh yeah, we, we definitely are vibing here. Um, you know, Lovable is essentially about this idea that early on in most of our lives, we pick up a particular kind of pain, and it's the pain that we call shame, or the belief that we are not good enough the way we are, we're not worthy of love and belonging the way that we are. And and, and really, what we discover creates most of the problems in our lives isn't, isn't necessarily that belief, but our resistance to it. 
and and our our efforts to try to prove that we're worthy through various things or to not feel that sense of unworthiness um and and so we see that sort of play out and you know oftentimes at least in in the traditions that i uh sort of um practice we talk about this difference between pain and suffering and that pain is just the stuff that happens in life right you're human you things happen it hurts it sort of happens to all of us suffering is the resistance to feeling that pain or experiencing that pain and and what we discover is that we can handle life with pain what we can't handle is life with pain and suffering uh, mm -hmm. And so we, as much as possible, we want to cultivate lives where we're not resisting our pain, where we're paying attention to it and learning from it. And so lovable is really about this process of beginning to notice that voice in your head that is telling you you're not good enough, right? And beginning to notice all of the things you do to cope with that voice and to ignore it and to compensate for it and all of those things. And we, I joked when we got on today, he said, hey, how's, how's life treating you? And I said, well, life's treating me pretty well today. It's the voice in my head. <laughs> that is not treating me well. And, and it's just one of those days where it's pretty loud telling me I'll never be good enough. You know, it's all going to come crashing down. You're, you know, you're, you're an imposter, all these sorts of things. Right. And it's just, it's just up there and it's prattling away. And my job today is to notice that, to, to go, oh, this going to be one of those days. One of those days where I put over that voice up there. Um, but I'm not going to do all the things I used to do to try to compensate for that voice or ignore it and therefore create unnecessary suffering for myself. You know, I, I speak to a lot of groups about what is addiction and, and it's hard to explain mm -hmm. the concept of addiction. You just, how do you, you know, mm -hmm. you, you can't. And so what mm -hmm. I often tell people is I have so many of those voices that it mm -hmm. feels to me kind of like, a beehive right behind my ear mm -hmm. and it's just buzzing and as i take my my alcohol as i take my drugs it gets quieter and quieter and quieter till i don't hear it it's not that it's gone i just don't hear it but when it comes mm -hmm. back it comes back with a vengeance and now mm -hmm. i have to do the same thing to bring it back down and um i have long known that addiction is really about not wanting to feel that pain that's the big yeah. that's it these the people i'm yeah. dealing with aren't drinking to have fun i always tell the story of my wife who you right. know she doesn't have a problem she goes out with the girls and they have a, a, a fun time drinking and mm -hmm. they make memories yeah. i drink for an entirely different reason Mm, that's a really that's a fantastic distinction um because that's a, it's a conversation that people have how, how do you know when it's problematic Right. And I think everyone is fairly asking that question or, or should be. I love that distinction. Um, I'm not drinking to have fun. I'm drinking because I have to, to not to not hear that thing inside, to not feel that thing inside. And that's such a great distinction. Right. So so you know, you're you're quite an accomplished guy, man. You're 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 one of the people in this world that that I'm impressed by and I look up to. And to hear you say that you have those same feelings i mean when you said that I, mm. my immediate response was i know that that boy i know that guy <laughs> you know um yeah i think we all do don't we don't don't most people even even you the know, people we look up to one of the things that i've discovered is, is probably most well received about the way that i um spread 
this message in the world is that uh, you know, I think people are always surprised when Dr. Kelly shows up and does a speaking event and then admits all the, the ways he's still wrestling with everything. And, and I just think it's really important. Um, I think if we hold out this false hope that certain people have arrived and that voice goes away for good, we're just setting ourselves up for failure. We're setting ourselves to feel up, like feel like we there's something particularly wrong with us. Um, but if we can sort of acknowledge that we're all in the same boat, we all picked up that wound, that pain early on. We're not good enough. We've all got several. We've got the way I would say it is we've got at least one voice telling us we're not good enough, and then we've got several that's trying to defend us <laughs> from right, people seeing right. that and or call it calling us not good enough. Um, and so you you know you recognize you got four or five voices kind of going on all the time that we're all in that boat, and and we don't have to pretend that's not happening. We don't have to. Uh, sort of set us set up this project that's going to eventually fail where we eliminate those voices, but we need to learn how to pay attention to them, abide with them, um, discover different ways of handling them rather than, as you say, numbing out, which can come in all sorts of forms, right? Come in a bottle, can come in a pill, can come in a job, uh, yep. can come in parenting your kids in a particular way. You know, gambling, I mean, you name gambling, it. gambling, gambling. Um, you know, Netflix is a great way to numb. Uh, I mean, social media, you know, you just watch the constant sliding down a social media feed and that's a, that's a brain that gets to, to numb out for a little while. So we've all got things we do to, to cope with that voice, but um, I think we can redeem those voices by learning how to pay attention to them and, and growing our awareness of, of what's going on inside of us and around us. So central to the, the book or at least mm -hmm. as much as I got into it. And and, and I, I apologize. Yeah. You gave me the book a while back. I should have finished it, but life got lifey on me. But, we should know. blame our daughter. We should totally blame our daughters who failed to make oh. the transfer several feet, right? Isn't that that's what we're doing. That's it. That's the new one. Yeah. I was yeah, perfect. That's the new way. That's I was right. perfect. <laughs> she messed it up. That's um, it. You got it. <laughs> uh, you talk about the story being in three acts, though. And, and, and I love that as I was reading it, mm -hmm. there were so many things. And one of the reasons it took me so long to read, because I'm a fairly quick reader, but one of the, mm -hmm. the reasons it took me so long to read is because you kept spinning me down my own personal rabbit holes. Yeah. Because there'd yeah. be something and I would end up not reading, but sitting there reflecting on how I, oh, I do that. Right. Or yeah, I've seen, you know, but that story That's concept, act one, two, three. Right. Yeah, that's good. And I actually, I mean, it's a really gratifying thing to me as an author to hear that a person's reading the book and it's sort of hitting them so personally and they have to put it down and digest a little bit. My agent, on the other hand, is just tell them to read faster and recommend it. <laughs> but <laughs> as far as an author goes, it's actually super gratifying. Um, yeah, so, and I'll go back to my my agent. Um, I, I got into a situation. I started blogging at the right time. I had some blog posts go viral. My daughter and I wound up on the Today Show. I got connected with a great literary agent. And, uh, and, and so she's really was the one, Kathy Helmers, who helped me learn how to write my first book, Lovable. She sort of taught me how to structure a book, which is so different than a blog post, right? And, uh, and I'll never forget one day, I was sitting out in my front yard, I was on the phone with her. And, uh, and she said, okay, okay, you keep sending me these three concepts, worthiness, purpose, and belonging. Why those three? And I said to her, no, 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 no. It's worthiness, then belonging, and then purpose. They have to go in that order. That's how That's how we sort of tackle these big tasks of life. And she said, well, that's what you need to write about, um, is the, the order, the sequence of, of growth and transformation. 
And, uh, and so, yeah, so the general idea is that the first act of life or of healing, you could say, is, is learning to deal with those voices inside, right, which are telling us we're no good, we're not worthy. Um, learning to listen to a different voice within us that knows we're worthy, um, that is self-validating and affirming, um, embracing our sense of worthiness, number one. Then number two, only then, really only then can we build a true sense of belonging. Because essentially what happens is early in our lives, we begin to pick up shame. We be, believe we're not enough. So we start to build this false self, right? That mm -hmm. is sort of responsible for good personas that are sort of responsible for going out there and earning us love and belonging, right? And we sell this in our kids, third, fourth grade, usually is when you see a kid start to build their false self, you know, they, come, they go to school one day wearing whatever, and the next day they come home and they're like, I got to wear this brand right. of clothes, you know, right. shoes, and I want to sit at this table in the cafeteria now, and I have to play this sport, and you sort of get to see them starting to build that false self, which is essentially tucking away their uniqueness and trying to blend in for acceptance, right? And um, and so, you know, we 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 all we all sort of go through that. Um, and what that means is then when we do find belonging in the world, deep down we know it's not us that's found belonging; it's our false self that has found belonging. So we're actually sort of stuck inside this false self, still really lonely going, but if people really knew, if they really knew me behind the Nike and behind the, you know, I don't know, the soccer awards and behind all of this, if they really knew, would I still belong? You know, would I still uh, be accepted? And so it's not until we embrace our worthiness and start to show up more authentically in our relationships that we really get a sense of belonging for the first time in our lives. And then in, in Lovable, I talk about how then based upon the steady foundation of that sense of belonging, the support from the people who really know us and really love us and really cherish us, then we can sort of launch ourselves into pursuing what we really want to do with our lives, what we're really feeling purposeful about and passionate about. And so that's that purpose piece, worthiness, then belonging, and then purpose. Although, as you get to, I'll, I'm going to a little bit of a spoiler here at the end of Lovable, um, I, I argue that, that growth and transformation isn't linear, it's cyclical. So mm -hmm. what you discover is, okay, I've embraced my worthiness. I've found my people to some extent. Now I'm out in the world practicing my passion, but it's taking me into new territory that's causing me to question my worth all over again, right? Mm -hmm. And now I'm back into having to master my sense of worthiness again. And then I get further clarity about who I belong to. And that leads me to even greater clarity about my passion and my purpose. And then you just keep cycling through that your entire life. No one really arrives. We just keep evolving um, in a but, sense. But, you and, know, the yeah. interesting thing, and, and I remember you saying that about the cycles going up the mountain, mm -hmm. right? The interesting mm -hmm. thing is, if I don't do the work at the bottom of the mountain, yeah, yeah I yeah. won't survive as I ascend. Right. No, right. And so right. if if I shortcut and you know, I saw it as, as act one, two, three, as you described. Yeah. And and that there there's usually some pain in yeah. act two. Right? Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. The pain shows up in act two. And that's where yeah. people like me, people are in, in addiction, we often numb the pain i don't grow from the pain yeah. i don't learn the lesson i'm supposed to learn oh, man. and so i skip mm -hmm. and now i go around that mountain again and i get a little higher mm -hmm. but i haven't learned the lesson mm -hmm. needed to be right. at, at that altitude yeah and, and i even and, say lovable yeah one of the 
one of the most painful parts of the process of growth and transformation is to 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 settle more into your sense of worthiness deal with your pain settle into your sense of worthiness and then to discover that at first your circles of belonging actually shrink the people the people who are with you because you are acting in a certain way using a certain substance doing a certain thing all of a sudden they evaporate so there is a there is even a painful cycle of increased loneliness for a little while in oh, this absolutely. as you start to to present yourself more authentically in the world because people are going to leave you um, before you can can start to fill up your circles of belonging with new people who really support you and that and that's that's not comfortable it's no. it's it's not comfortable to be standing on a mountain yelling out into into to space mm. by yourself and 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 a mm -hmm. lot of people can't handle that i don't want to say loneliness but aloneness and there's a distinction mm. yeah that's right yeah you could argue that one of the most important skills to develop is our emotional capacity to hold space for our own discomfort and our own pain. I actually, one of my good friends has been probably 20 years in recovery now. And, um, and he, he talked about forcing himself at the beginning of his meetings to not be on his phone because yeah. that's where the discomfort is, right? To be sitting there waiting for a meeting to start. Um, and to be alone um, and to not connected to his group yet, that's that's when he discovered he needed to feel the discomfort of that and be in it. And if he was being on his phone during that time, he wasn't he wasn't really sober, he would say. Um, being sober is being able to face one's discomfort and hold space for it. So um, so yeah, so I think I think what you're getting at is that capacity to hold space for our own discomfort and pain is really essential to to everything else that comes after, isn't it? You have to, right? Because I I don't learn from my success. I learn from my failure, right? Right. right. You know, I don't that's learn right. from the things that feel good. I learn from what kills me. <laughs> you know, that's right. You know, that's right. And 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 so it's um, it's just interesting how life is not what I thought it was, mm. right? I thought that life, or maybe this is a childish mm. thought process, but I thought that life was just doing the stuff you want to do. When in truth, life mm. is preparing to do the stuff you want to do. Life is learning mm. to do the stuff you want to do. You know, mm. um, it, it's, it, it's interesting to me. Uh, yeah. Let me throw one thing at you. It's interesting sure. to me that as a child, when I could do certain things, um, I could fit into a sports car. I could jump mm. up and touch the basketball rim. I could do all those things. I really didn't want to. Now mm. that I'm older, <laughs> you know, right. I want to do that stuff. My back won't let me get into a sports car. <laughs> <laughs> right. it right. It's flip-flopped. So That's I'm right. sorry. I, no, I like that. And I think, you know, my illusion, I think, and, and the illusion for a lot of people was if you do what you want to do, it's all fun and games, you know, and, and in lovable, one of the things I talk about is um, that actually our passions, the word passion means something I'm extravagantly fond of doing. Right. Okay. So that just sounds great. I mean, there's a little bit of an, um, there's a cultural sort of illusion. You know, if you, if you find something you love to do, you'll never work a day in your life. I don't think that's a terribly helpful 
saying <laughs> because, right? The things we're extravagantly fond of doing are often also hard to do. They come with setbacks. They come with difficulty. They come with pain. And uh, and so another definition of passion in the original Latin root of the word passion is to suffer. Um, and so I, my my full definition of passion is something I'm so extravagantly fond of doing that I'd be willing to suffer for it if necessary. Wow. Um, yes. And so I, I think, right, to get to the point in life where we think we're beyond suffering, like, oh, I'm doing everything I love to do now. Like, we'll never get there. Um, and then we think we're doing something wrong if there's still suffering in life or pain in life, I should say. Um, and so, yeah, so I think we have to embrace that pain is along for the ride, uh, regardless of whether or not we are are doing the thing that we've always wanted to do or not. I write books now, right? Something <laughs> I've always wanted to do. Let me tell you. <laughs> is there any is there, suffering there's going a lot on? Of, there, there's a little bit going on in that process, um, but I'm so extravagantly fond of doing it. Um, I'm willing to put up with that. Do you watch the show Succession? Oh my goodness. I actually, I right before we came on, I thought, I think a new episode came out last night. I need to, I need to watch that tonight. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm down a rabbit hole on Succession. I'm done. Oh yeah. So I show. watched the show on Sunday. And then I spent all week long listening to podcasts and yelling at the radio of, of, of the people that are tearing the, but one thing that really caught me, one guy said a couple weeks back, he said, the definition of wealthy is everywhere you go, it's always 70 degrees. Mm. Think about that, right? Yeah. You know, because uh -huh. he was like, how come those people don't ever have coats? You know, it's like, because every, right. they, they walk out the restaurant, they get in the car, they get out the car, they go into the helicopter. Everything is always, and, and that's, Everything's always 70 degrees. right? Never thought about that, you know, and um, it's just, I thought that success mm. was finding the place where I never feel any pain and like, it's always 70 mm. degrees. There's always food mm. on the table. That's not, I've, I've, I've obtained some levels of that in my life in the past. And it, it, it was not satisfying. Well, and that's, that's it, right? It's not, it's not satisfying. And it's even a little bit shocking. Um, and I think that's why succession is such a magnetic show as you get like an inside window into the pain of affluence. And, and, and if the illusion is, and I think the illusion is, once I have enough money, I'll be able to control my circumstances enough that I won't ever have to deal with pain again. It'd be 70 degrees all the time. Right. right? And, and you could almost argue that like uh, the folks in this show and, and, and folks like them in the world do get to the point where they can control their worlds enough. But then there's this incredible emptiness to it and dissatisfaction to it. Right. And, right. and as you see with these characters in the show, they've never learned, they've never had to believe in themselves. They've never had to endure pain and learn to believe in themselves in the midst of it, um, in, in, in a sense. And so I, I think at the top of that, that wealth pyramid, there's this dissolute, like, I thought this was going to do it for me. I thought this was going to make me happy. And it's not. It's not. Um, and, and, and that's where we face the choice as to whether or not we're going to, to start to face life on its terms and the way life actually works, or if we're going to keep trying to control it on our terms. And um, that can be a difficult letting go. So how much of that then is the relativity? It, and and I'll, I'll tell you, drugs, 
had to say that just because we've gotten on that. <laughs> <laughs> sure. You can't say so it once every 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I noticed that when I moved to Dixon, mm-hmm. because I didn't grow up here, because this isn't where my past is, I didn't feel the need so much to impress the people that I'm around. I'm perfectly happy Mm -hmm. in a 2011 Ford Explorer that suits my needs and does what I want. Sure. But I go into Chicago where I grew up a lot. Mm -hmm. And I notice as I drive 88 going back towards Chicago, by the time I get to Naperville, I want to be in a Porsche and I'm pissed off that, (laughs) you know, and, and I don't think it's because the people here don't drive those because they do. The people here do the same mm-hmm. thing, but they don't know me the way the people mm-hmm. that I grew up with knew me. I don't yeah. want to prove myself to these people like I want to mm-hmm. prove myself to the guys I grew up with. And I, I don't know what that's I think you're about. Getting at something, I think you're getting at something really profound. Um, and, and I think it is the fact that the and the the novel that I just published, The Unhiding of Elijah Campbell, it starts out with this sentence: "The past is behind us, but it is also always within us." Wow! And okay. and and I think the I think the reality is that like the, the the previous versions of ourselves, they sort of live on within us, right? And and the way I understand that in in doing deep work with people is that Gerald now, I don't think he's got any problem with driving into the suburbs and his. 2011 explorer i think that's what you said it was um i think gerald from what what age how old is is living on in you and going right right and 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 that version of you is being called up by being back in the same spaces and around the same right same streets and same roads and that version of you inside of you is going i i gotta should be driving a nicer car right and so when we talk about holding space for our pain we're actually holding space for that younger version of us it's almost like we have to father that younger version of us that 16 year old kid in us and go hey dude not about the car i know it feels that way right now but you're going to be okay no matter what you're driving you know right right Um, and we actually have to like walk that part of us that is in pain through the process of our life right now um there's a scene early in lovable where i was in this continuing education seminar and they took us through this visualization where we went to our Right. A room of the house, right? Ask mom for what you need. Ask dad for what you need. I was unable to do either one even in my own visualization. And then um, go back out to the road outside your house. Now notice there's somebody walking towards you. Oh, notice it's the adult version of you. Ask that version of you for what you need from them. And in my own visualization that day, the first thing that came up is just tell me I'm going to be okay. Just tell me I'm going to be all right, right? No matter how much car I have, no matter all that stuff, right? And, uh, and so I think there's a, a version of us inside of us always saying, hey, can you reassure me I'm okay, even if I'm driving a 2011 Ford Explorer in Naperville? And, and it's just an opportunity to reassure that version of us. Yeah, you're good, man. You're worthy. I'm with you. We're all right. Did you hear anything about when our when we brought a speaker to, to the school? Uh, did, did your daughter talk about Joseph Green? It was I would last, love to pretend yeah. that my daughter talks to me about anything, but these days I don't get a whole <laughs> lot of info. <laughs> well, we brought this guy and he's a spoken word artist and he speaks about prevention okay. and recovery. And he did a poem for them called Dear Me. And it's about mm. something that happened to him when he was a, a child. And 
And it yeah. starts with, and so my adult self took out a piece of paper and wrote a note. And uh, mm. it ends with, you know, dear me, just know that I have loved you all along. And, and you know, it's just mm. exactly what you were saying. We're running short on time. We got about five sure. minutes left, but can you talk about the bully that at your 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 son's school, the the bully that uh oh from the from lovable? Yeah, yeah. because I think when you say that I'm holding space for my yeah. teenage youth, mm. I don't think yeah. my teenage I don't think 16-year-old Gerald wanted a Porsche because Gerald wanted the finer things in life. 16-year-old exactly. wanted 16-year-old Gerald wanted a Porsche to shut up the bullies yeah. that told me yeah. I wasn't good enough when I was mm -hmm. 16. And I think mm -hmm. that's what's still living is that maybe you're that's not right. good enough. Mm -hmm. so, so, yeah. I, yeah. And I, and I really appreciate your, your authenticity about that. It gives I think, everybody listening permission to still have that pain from the past still working its way into the present and affecting you know our, our wants and desires right now it's we have to bring awareness to that so i appreciate that yeah i think the story you're talking about is one where my son my oldest uh who i guess um, from probably about kindergarten to fourth or fifth grade in this elementary school of his um was bullied pretty significantly by a classmate who was sort of the the ultimate athlete, whereas my son is not the ultimate athlete. He's more of a creative guy, performing arts, that sort of thing, um, music and, and that sort of thing. So he was he was bullied pretty pretty regularly. And as a parent, you know, you try to you try to do all the things. You know, okay, you know, if he's bullying, then he's probably having a rough time himself. You try to have empathy and understanding and intervene to to protect your kid, but mostly just try to, to not get too angry at this other kid for hurting yours. Well, anyway, so you go four years down the road, my son's in fifth grade, my, uh, my, my middle guy is in first grade now, and they get uh, assigned a reading buddy from the fifth grade class. And all year, my son comes home and tells us how great his reading buddy is and how, you know, and, um, and it turns out the reading buddy is my older son's bully. Um, and he was such an incredible mentor to our younger son and was so humble with them, like to the point of saying like, oh man, you read better than I ever could, like just encouraging and humble. And it's like, okay, there, there we see underneath all of his layers of needing to protect himself by knocking somebody else down, right? You get to see who this kid really is, his goodness of heart underneath all of that. It's always just been a huge reminder to me to trust that there's a there's a reading buddy underneath every bully, and we need well, to look. You know it. that that story at, at the point that you said, and it was the the kid. I was like in tears, just like all swollen, yeah. because not only that, but there was another instance where I want to say the bully had given your your the bullied son yeah. compliments yeah. on his singing. I believe it was or is. I was actually, I forgot that I put that part in there. Yeah. Um, so there was a, like a talent show at, at lunch in the cafeteria. And um, my son sang a beautiful acapella rendition of a song called The Riddle by Five for Fighting. It's gorgeous. And uh, ran into, yeah, this, this kid and his mom. And they were, he was making a point of wanting to be there to hear my son sing because he admired his voice so much. And uh, 
again, like just not not something not something you expect to to think about or be aware of with the bully. And um, and so again, we're just trying to like come to a greater sense of awareness and compassion for the reasons we're all out there protecting and being aggressive and trusting that boy, if, if you're being aggressive, it means it's because you're hurt and uh, and you're protecting something. So I want to have compassion for your hurt too. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing that. Like I said, it just really, it tore me up. I, my, my my family was there while I was reading it. They're like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, ah, oh. you <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> That's <laughs> <But> awesome. <laughs> we skipped over something and, and, and you know, sure. as, as well accomplished and amazing people as we, we just talked, you know, well, I was on Good Morning America, but we didn't go into yeah. why. Why were you on Good Morning America? And just... Does this community sure. know what a gem they have in 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 the author of four books? And and I I want to I want to note there is a Christian overtone to the books. That it, it comes from a, a spiritual place, which really resonates right. for me. Um, but yeah, please tell us about the letters and all. Yeah, yeah, I um I I come from a Christian tradition, um, which to me actually means that you don't have any agendas um jesus seemed to model for us loving people regardless of agenda right and um and it was an equal opportunity lover so um so i hope what these books are you'll see that i mentioned in my christian tradition um, a decent amount in them but there's anyone can sort of enjoy them and experience them and access them um so uh yeah how do i get there um so I, I wrote a, I started writing a blog really just to market my therapy services way back in 2012. And my ninth blog post was a, a letter, uh, a, a blog post called Marriages for Losers. Um, and it went really viral and my, my platform started to build. And uh, and then I wrote a letter to my daughter. Uh, it's called A Daddy's Letter to His Little Girl. Um, and about about her worth, I think it was. Um, and that went really viral. Uh, and then just a little while later, I wrote a third, a third viral blog post, um, words from a father to his daughter from the makeup aisle. And this was a letter about how her beauty is that, yes, she's beautiful on the outside, but her, her best beauty is on the inside, right? She's inherently beautiful internally. And that went so viral <laughs> that I was in my therapy office on a, it was a Thursday afternoon and the phone rang and I picked it up and the person said, Hey, this is so-and-so from NBC. Would you and your daughter be interested in coming on the show and talking about this letter that you wrote her? She was three at the time. Um, and I said, yeah, absolutely. Like, let's, right. let's do it. So they flew, they flew us out to New York city. Uh, we were interviewed by Willie Geist and Adeline Morales on the today show. Um, really a surreal sort of experience. Um, but I'll tell you, I mean, you mentioned living in Dixon, right. And, um, that was really a pivotal moment in our life as a family, because that voice in my head had been telling me my whole life, you got to find bigger towns, bigger stages, you know, and so you, you find, you're in the Big Apple, you're in New York City, you're sitting on the orange couch of the Today Show, right, um, prime time in the morning, and and at that point you go, okay, well, I kind of did everything I want, check, 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 right, and my wife looked and I, and I looked at each other and said, if we quit chasing our worthiness, right, in bigger things, and we just did, if we just trusted we're worthy and that we can do whatever we want, what would we do? And the answer was we moved back to Dixon. 
and, uh, and and return to this town that's just so near and dear to my heart. I love this place. I I think of it as one of my friends. <laughs> right, <laughs> They're sort of right. strange, but it's one of my companions. And and so uh, that happened in 2014. We were on the Today Show, and by July of 2015, we'd my wife had quit her job as a professor at, at Wheaton College. Um, I'd quit my job working at a at a outpatient mental health practice, and uh, sold our house in Wheaton and moved back here to, to Dixon. And are coming up on eight years, and best decision we ever made. Love being here. Awesome, awesome. Well, I I really appreciate you taking time to to talk to me, and 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 I appreciate your friendship and and the guidance you give to my my children, and uh, I just enjoy being a part of your world and 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 seeing what you do. So thank you. Likewise, Gerald. Thank you for the just the the really important work you're doing here with this podcast. Um, I appreciate you and the way you contribute to the community in so many different ways. Thank you, man. Thank you. All right. Well. I am going to get off um, before I start crying again, and I am going to finish the book, and then I'm <laughs> going to start the unhiding of Elijah Campbell. Uh, where are the books available, or what's the best place for people to find them? Yeah, so uh, you can go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com. It's drkellyflanagan.com. Flanagan is all A's and single N's. Um, and uh, and if you go there, click on the books tab, you'll see, you know, all the books described in the places where you can buy them. Um, but they're all available, you know, in uh, paperback, in uh, digital, in audio. So you can also just go to Amazon and find them there. Uh, Lovable, True Companions, Unhiding of Elijah Campbell. You can get them wherever books are sold. Or if you live in Dixon, go right down to Books on First. And uh, oh, they, right. they should have them in stock and they should be signed copies. And if they're not, let me know. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, hey, I'll let you get back to your life. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thanks, Joe. And I'm sure we'll talk soon. Got it. See you later, man. Bye-bye. All right, man. All right. We'll see you later. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. So there you have it. Uh, That was my interview with Dr. Kelly Flanagan. I I really enjoyed talking to him. You know, we've had a chance to uh, speak at some uh, mutual functions for our children and gotten to know each other a little bit, but I really, really enjoyed getting a chance to get a little deeper. Um, I also enjoyed his books, Lovable. Um, I'm looking forward to the unhiding of Elijah Campbell. As he said, uh, you can purchase those at drkellyflanagan.com. This is the Recovery Greenhouse, and it, it's all about us just kind of taking a look at people and ideas and concepts that are making a difference in recovery. I will uh, ask that if you, you enjoyed this conversation, you take a look at some of our others. We're all available on uh, Spotify, uh, Pandora, uh, Apple Podcasts. Um, recommend them, subscribe to them. Uh, Send it out to your friends. Let them know about it. Anything you can do will help. So, um, as as we always end, I, I will will say that you know addiction is not something that uh, you need to hide from. You, you can recover. Um, I'm living proof. In fact, tomorrow I'm going to be celebrating another anniversary of uh, my sobriety date and I'm really excited about that um, it, it's a big day in fact I just went and bought a birthday cake and my, and my wife's like why are you buying a birthday cake are you sad and I'm like just the opposite so 
uh, please, please, please celebrate every day that you, you, you make progress. And it's not just about absolute sobriety. Um, sometimes it's just about doing a little better than yesterday. You know, not taking that drink until later in the day. Uh, not doing as much of your drug of choice as you have done. Um, if you need help, reach out. There's people. There's 12 step and other support groups, uh, local social services, uh, counselors, and recovery community organizations, police departments. Uh, the world is changing. It's not so harsh for you, especially if you ask for help. Uh, so, until we speak again, have a really, really great week. And uh, if you need help, reach out to us. Our website is svvor.org. Bye-bye.